tell you what I told you last week, and that is to be patient as I teach through this. Hear me out. Okay, I think the Bible speaks about hearing out a whole matter before we make a, a judgment on it or a decision on it. So hear me out. And you heard a lot last week. I've gotten, I've gotten no, I've gotten no, uh, I've gotten a little feedback. I've gotten zero negative feedback, which is good. It's good. And uh, I don't mind the feedback. I really don't. I, in fact, if, if, if the Lord uses a message, I tell people this. I don't want you to come up pat me on the back and say, boy, that was great. That was awesome. What was great about it? Right? But, but if the Lord uses it and says, Lord, Pastor, that's what I needed. Well, the Lord spoke to you, okay, through the word. It's not about me. But believe me, and Raymond will understand this. John understands this. Any teacher understands this. Some feedback, some encouragement uh, is helpful. It's always, it's always welcome. If the Lord used it, let us know that, okay? That, man, that helped me. Miss Susan, we talked this morning. I think, I think this has helped you. Amen? Did it? Is, am I, am I re- I'm not reading into that, right? So the message helped you. Okay, all right. So that's what, that's what I want to hear. If, if the Lord used it, then, then we want to know that. So be patient with me as I work through this. We're not going to exhaustively get to, through the topic even today. So we'll, we'll be in, in this topic again next week. But uh, hear me out. And then, and then if you have questions, I'd, I'd love to answer any questions you may have. Okay? So uh, let's, uh, let's get started. 1 Corinthians again. I'm going to read here first because that's where we're at in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 7, verse 10. And unto the married. So Paul is writing to those married believers there in Corinth. And he says, I command, yet not I. Now he's not saying, I'm not saying this. Uh, he's not saying that, uh, you know, the, the, he's saying I command, but he says, but not I, but the Lord. And what he's saying is the Lord has already spoke on this issue. And he quotes now the Lord. He is, what he's saying is from the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. So that's what Paul is saying. The Lord already taught on this. I'm commanding you what the Lord has already said. So as we looked at this last week, and the question that always comes when we talk about marriage, obviously the first question, well, it ain't obvious, but it is the first question, almost always when we're talking about marriage, is, is it ever okay to get a divorce? That's the question that logically comes. So I want to recap quickly what we learned last week. So God hates divorce, but God does not hate people who have been divorced, okay? Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. We looked at that. And I'm certain that, that some of you have been taught that, and I, I would almost... Uh, I would feel very, very confident in saying there's some of you this morning that may actually struggle in that area. That this is God, can God really forgive uh, this sin in my life? Uh, Things that we know from scripture that we talked about. God is more concerned with my holiness than my happiness, okay? God always wants me to pursue his will and way, not my will and way. His will and way always brings life, not death. And then forgiveness is always God's will for us with others. That is always God's will for us, is to forgive other folks, to forgive uh, the things that they do to us. Reconciliation is always God's desire with us and for us. So it is for us to be agents of reconciliation, to go and tell people. You know, when we talk about reconciliation there, it's reconciliation of God and them to help, help be agents of reconciliation with God, but also that we would be those that would reconcile with one another. He always desires that. So if there ever is a time to get a divorce, it should only be for the goal of bringing repentance and reconciliation. That is the only time. And, and if there ever is a time of divorce, it should be for that purpose of bringing repentance and reconciliation. 
And so remember how Jesus answered this question. We look there in Matthew 19. We can go back to verse 4. I'm going to pick up right there. And he answered and said to them, because they're questioning him. They're trying to trick him. And why did Moses command divorce? Well, Moses didn't command divorce. He allowed it. He put some parameters up for what you hard-hearted people were doing anyway and what you were going to do anyway. So he put up some parameters for them. And really, if you study that out, you'll see that it was designed to help those women, to protect them and to stop some of the, 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 the marry divorce, marry divorce, marry divorce, marry divorce, because they, they could just do what they wanted. He confronted that. So Jesus confronted that. But then he says here, and he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them, God, who made them at the beginning, made them male and female and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one. And then Jesus says this, therefore, Strong statement right here. And we're going to look at a verse in a moment that is going to make it brings up a lot of questions. But look what the Lord says. He says, therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. That is a strong and a definitive statement. That's not a statement made with loopholes and question marks in it. Very, very strong what the Lord says right there. Um, the Bible clearly teaches, and Jesus here reiterates, that God, in his joining Adam and Eve as husband and wife, designed marriage to be lifelong, covenantal, monogamous, and between a male and a female. And additionally, we, we talked about last week from Scripture, we understand that God explicitly commands that a believer is not to, to be joined together with an unbeliever. So a, a Christian should never marry an unbeliever. And I'll just tell you this, young people, don't ever date someone who's not a believer. And don't just date, they, that, you know, they said they were a Christian. Well, don't take their word for it. See how they're living their life. See what they're doing. There'll be fruit in their life if they truly are born again. And, and the, the way that they act will rep, represent that. And so don't just assume on, based on what somebody says. But we are not to... And if you ain't to marry an unbeliever, Christian, then you shouldn't even date an unbeliever. Don't even entertain that. You get too far down the road and go, Oh, but I love them. And I, I'll change them. That's a whole different message. I'm getting off track here. So, so Jesus has a high view of marriage, and he clearly here took the traditional, conservative, biblical view of marriage. He didn't go back and say, I'm embracing and signing off what, what Moses said. I'm just I'm reiterating what he said. He said, no, you, gotta, you see in that he went back beyond. He went back to the beginning. That was not so, and that's what Jesus stands on. So for, from what Jesus said, we can conclude that a person can not get a divorce for just any reason. That was the question they asked. Verse 8, he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. He's going back to the beginning. He's not signing off on, on Moses, so that was allowed, and God allowed Moses to allow that. We, we've cleared that up. Jesus is jumping right over that, back to the beginning, and really he's establishing what should be the norm going forward. So he says here that Moses did that because of the hardness of your hearts, and we, we talked last week, the hardness of your hearts in a word. If we put that in a word, it's sin, right? We understand that. 
We understand that when there's problems between people, it's because of hardness of our hearts. And when there's hardness of hearts, there's going to be sin. And so we have to get past that and we've got to go back to what does God want for us? Well, he wants us to forgive. He wants us to be agents of reconciliation and restoration and forgiveness and, 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 and those things. Repentance. He wants us to be in that. So again, divorce is not the unforgivable sin, but divorce is always, it's always the result of sin. And you, you, you never argue with me that, boy, we got divorced, but there was no sin involved. There's always sin. Sin brings forth death. And I'm going to tell you, divorce is a death. It's a death. So the goal for the sincere follow of Christ, now that's who I'm preaching to. If you're here this morning, you're not a believer, these, these principles of marriage that God designed, they apply to you too. But I'm talking to the believers this morning. I'm talking to born-again Christians this morning who love the Lord and want to live their lives according to His Word. That's who I'm speaking to this morning, okay? And uh, so, so for the sincere fall of Christ, the goal is always moving toward reconciliation and restoration. That's the goal. And that is the heart of God. Folks, if you don't get to the heart of God in an issue, you're going to misinterpret something. So we've got to understand what is the heart of God on this issue, and we're seeing that. So going back then to the question that we posed last week, is it ever okay to get a divorce? Matthew 19, 6 Again, the Lord said, let no man separate. Now, the pulpit commentary says this about that phrase, let no man separate. Man does thus infringe the primitive rule when he divorces his wife. Herein, he opposes God and acts against nature. He and his wife are one. They can no more separate from one another than they can from themselves. If we regard our Lord's language in this passage without prejudice and not reading into it, um, uh, into it in modern notions, we must consider that he here decrees the indissolubility of the marriage tie. His hearers plainly understood him, so to speak, as we see from the objection which they urged. And we'll look at that next week as, as we see that the way that the, the disciples responded to this, his statement there. And it gives us some great insight into what Jesus was actually saying there. So we'll look at that next week. So, so the question then comes up, but what about verse 9 here in Matthew 19, this so-called exception clause? So let's read that. Matthew 9, verse, or Matthew 19, verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Now, there may be, I'm going to say this because I didn't put this in my notes, but it just occurs to me here, even as I read this again, if there is this exception clause that we're going to discuss, it relates to someone, the innocent party, it relates to the innocent party when there's sexual immorality in the marriage. There is adultery committed in the marriage. But it says here, whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. There's no exception in that. Okay, so it's very clear what Jesus is saying, and it is very tight in this, in this area. So with that verse, there's a, there's a great amount of diversity of thought and teaching on, on, this, uh, on this verse and on this idea of this exception clause. And he says, except for sexual immorality. So we're going to look at three of those this morning. First is this, divorce 
is acceptable in the case of sexual immorality. That's what we just read. That's what we, we, we you hear that, except for sexual immorality. So divorce is acceptable in the case of sexual immorality. And that's probably uh, the, the prominent view today is probably the prevailing view uh, in, in, I would say, in evangelical circles. I would say most of the people that I, I have been around in my life hold to this thought right here, this view. Um, they're, they're, and, and so the, the view is this, that there is an exception an exception found in this verse that you may divorce in the case of sexual immorality. So Jesus said, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So that teaching is that in the case that one spouse commits not just adultery but any sexual immorality, then the innocent spouse is free to divorce. That is the teaching on that. That's the idea. The clear restatement, now, now go back. Even if there is an, it, let, let's just argue for a second. If there is an exception clause there, what has God already said should always be the believer's focus? Restoration, repentance, restoration, uh, forgiveness, reconciliation. That should always be the believer's goal, even in that case. And we'll, we'll talk more about that next week. So, Clear, this verse right here, it is a clear restatement of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the two places where we find this exception clause. Matthew chapter 5 verse 31 says, furthermore, it has been said. Now here's the Lord, he's teaching and he's, he's dealing with issues, things that have been said. And then he deals with it from, this is the way it should be. This is the way it's supposed to be. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That's what's been said. That's what the Pharisees said. That's what they were practicing. Verse 32, but I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. So there's a mistake uh, that's made with this. All right. So you see, you see there the exception, what is believed to be the exception clause. If there's sexual immorality in the marriage, then the innocent party is free at that point to, to divorce. If that's what it goes to, they're free to divorce. Okay. That's the exception clause. That's what is taught. So here's a mistake that's made. The exception clause is oftentimes interpreted and even even uh, exercised as an expectation clause. Now, there's a big difference between exception and expectation, right? Big difference. But what has happened in our culture today, and even in the local church, is this. If someone commits sexual sin, that you have an exception and can get a divorce. But oftentimes, there's this expected that, boy, that happened, and you're expected to get a divorce, and oftentimes they have the expectation that they're free to remarry, okay? So there's this, it becomes, goes from an exception clause in this one case of sexual immorality to now if that happens, uh, that just wipes out what God said about pursuing reconciliation. You're free. You're free. They cheated on you. You're free. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself right here. But, but one, of the, one of the ideas... Uh, no, no, that went a fleeting thought. You ever had the thought comes by and it's gone? So it'll come back. It, <laughs> it'll come back. Number one, we'll, we'll get that in a second. Number two, it'll come back because I know what I'm talking about here later. It'll come back. Uh, number two, Jesus was not speaking of sexual sin within the marriage. 
So when he says this, he wasn't speaking of sexual sin within the marriage. When he said this, Jesus was not speaking of, of sin within the marriage, or he would have called that adultery. If someone has commits sexual sin within the marriage, that would, we, he would have used, they argue he would have used the word adultery. But, but, but th- that he was referring, the idea is that he was referring to sexual immorality or any sexual sin discovered prior to marriage. Uh, th- th- so when, when, when there's any sexual sin that's discovered. So the idea here is that if any sexual sin was discovered during the engagement period, it would be legitimate and lawful reason to not go through with the wedding. So that's one of the views. That if you you discovered sexual sin among the the person you're engaged with in in that engagement period, then then you're free to to break off that engagement. Those who hold this view suggest that Jesus was referring here to the situation with Joseph and Mary. And we're coming up on Christmas. It's it's uh, you know we'll talk about that. That surely we're going to talk about that in this time where Mary was found with child, but yet Mary was a virgin. So those around her would have said, Oh yeah, right, you're a virgin. But you're with child. So Joseph initially thought that Mary had been unfaithful, and he thought to put her away quietly. That was his plan. So you understand that engagement then was more, uh, much more formal and binding than engagements today. They, people get engaged today. A guy gives her a ring. They may be engaged for three months or three weeks or three years. I don't know. They get a ring. But it's this simple, right? It is this simple. If you want to break the engagement today, you throw it back at them, right? It's that simple. It wasn't that simple back then. The engagement was very formal. It was very involved. It was almost a legal thing. They just were not actually married. So um, in essence, they were married, but they did not consummate the marriage until after the wedding ceremony. But they were, I mean, it was a legal, they were together. Thus, Joseph not just going, hey, we're done. It was, he was considering, am I going to break this? Am I going to break this engagement because of this? So the teaching is that Jesus made an exception that applied prior to marriage. Now, those who argue that make a strong case. But I'll tell you, those who argue against that make a very strong case. That it's, that it's not, a, that's not, that's not a, a solid argument. They can't say it's not a, it's not a reasonable thought or argument, but they'll argue against it. Okay. The third is this is that Jesus made no exception at all. That what he said, he didn't actually make an exception that says you can get a divorce if this happens. So let's go back to Matthew 5, 32 and read again what Jesus said. He said, but I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. So those holding this view say he was simply stating the obvious. Now hear this, because this isn't easy to grasp because our minds go with the first point, with, the, with understanding this. But here's what they're saying. If you, if you end a marriage for any reason other than your spouse already having committed adultery, your divorce will likely cause them to commit adultery. Now go back and read the sentence again. Because the commas aren't in this sentence here. So it says, but, if I, but I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. So what he's saying is, if you divorce them, if you divorce that person, you're very likely going to cause them to commit adultery because you are married for life. 
You're going to divorce them. If they go out then, if they have sexual relations outside of marriage, they're an adulterer because that's your wife. If they remarry, then they've committed adultery because that's your wife. You're causing them to be that. What, he say, what they say is that is the only sin, adultery, that by divorcing them, you don't put them in danger of becoming what they already are. You follow? Y'all don't. <laughs> it's not easy. I told y'all last week, this is the hardest stuff I've ever studied out. Think through that. Go back and read over Matthew 5, 32. And I just encourage you now, go and, 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 and think on this verse here. Because when we go back to the idea that marriage is permanent... It's lifelong, and there's the, the, so why would when you when you look at when you look at chapter nineteen verse nine you go back to verse six what did God say what God has put together Jesus said what well, God has put together let no man break apart why in the world would three verses later he go hey but you know here here here's where you can break it apart here's the argument so the idea is that he was simply stating the obvious. If a wife commits adultery and you divorce her, you're not causing her to commit adultery. But if you divorce your wife for any other reason, you're very likely going to cause her to commit adultery by divorcing her. Does that, does that make sense a little bit? Y'all getting that? Think on that. Okay. All right. I know. It's hard. Um, so let's dig a little deeper. So what does other scripture say? Well, again, I'm going, to, I'm going to read something from the pulpit commentary. It says, The original institution of marriage contained no idea of divorce. We would we'd agree with that. When you go back and look at the original, and we've talked about what marriage is, there, there is no idea. God's made no exception, no, no leniency in the marriage bond. It, it is a, the, there is no idea of divorce there. And he continued, they continue there. It says, It was no mere civil contract made by men and dissoluble by, by man, but a union of God's own formation, with which no human power could interfere. However novel this idea might seem, it was God's own design from the first. Now, it's going back to God's idea of marriage, God's institution of marriage, God's implementation of marriage, of what marriage is supposed to be. We can't come at it going, well, but I, but I, but you got to leave those buts out of it. And we get back to what does Scripture say. We'll move forward after we figure out what Scripture says. Here's what I, man, that fleeting thought came and left again. <laughs> it was good, too. All right, maybe it'll come back. I want to remember that. It was, it was, it was good. Oh, God. All right. All right. Anyway. All right. Um, continuing on. You are married till death. That's what Scripture teaches. We're digging deeper. Scripture tells us, when you read in 1 Corinthians, we're going to get there. Chapter 7, verse 39 says, A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom, to whom she wishes only in the Lord. So if, if a, a husband dies or a wife dies, the spouse then is free, and if they choose to remarry, they can. It is very, very 
clearly stated right there that, that the only thing that ends the marriage, severs the marriage, is, is death. Romans 7, 2, For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. Okay, so again, this is just restating God's plan in this, that the, it is a lifelong union. That's why young people don't enter into marriage lightly. I think the quote I, I, I shared was, if you enter marriage lightly, you're going to carry a heavy burden. If you, care, if you go into it very seriously, you won't have a heavy burden because you have thought through it, prayed through it. You'll know it's God's will. It's what I'm supposed to do. This is the one. And we, man, is Gina and I, we've had bumps in the road, but we haven't had bumps in the road. We've had bumps all around us. We've hit them, but we've hit them together. Now, I mean been perfect for me, but it ain't been perfect for her. So if there was any, any exception, she might be looking for it. But, uh, but she's not because, you know what, we didn't enter into it lightly. And, and many haven't, and things still happen, and we'll talk more about that later. All right, nowhere else in Scripture, so we continue on, nowhere else in Scripture is this clause, this exception clause found. We don't find it anywhere else. You find it in Matthew 9. You, uh, 19, 9, and you find it in Matthew 5, 32. Sermon on the Mount, and then it is written in here in this interaction with the Pharisees that it is written in. Now, let's go to Mark chapter 10. You can write these verses down. You can go back and read them. Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 10, and you can read chapter, uh, verses 2 through 12. And it's a parallel account of, of, the, of this interaction with the Pharisees and what Jesus had to say there in Matthew 19. So Mark chapter 10, I'm going to pick up at verse 9 because the Lord's response again is, I want you to read what he says. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, now after that was done, they go into the house and his disciples also ask him again about the same matter. So he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Okay, Mark does not include that exception clause. It's not there. Pretty clear what Jesus says right there. It says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another, you commit adultery. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Luke chapter 16 verse 18. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. Pretty clear Jesus' idea here on marriage. Amen? Pretty clear. Paul, in extensive writing on marriage, never includes this exception clause. He never includes it in his writing. And Paul didn't include it even right here when we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, when he's writing to these Corinthians, and go back and read chapter 7 verse 10 again. And unto the, unto the married, I command, yet, yet not I, but the Lord. So here he's teaching what the Lord taught. Let, the, let not the wife depart from her husband. But if... But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and let not the husband put away his wife. Very clear here what Paul is teaching. And Paul is teaching what he understood the Lord had taught. So he's teaching this. So, why, why, you know, if Paul, if the exception clause is there, why didn't Paul say that? Why didn't Mark say that? Why didn't Luke say that? Now, Paul certainly knew what the Lord said and what he meant. Why didn't he state the exception clause right here? Would the Corinthian believers just assume that exception? Would they get it on their own? So why wasn't it there? 
Now, I want you to understand something because I'm not questioning Scripture as to what Jesus said there. Here's what I'm saying. Scripture never conflicts. And we've talked about this a lot, right? So if you read a verse and you think that says one thing and you read a verse and you think it says something else and it, it seems to conflict, Scripture never conflicts, ever. It never conflicts. So if there's seeming conflict, it's in our interpretation. So my argument would be at this point, when you have a whole lot of overwhelming Scripture that speaks to marriage and the, the ideal that God has for marriage, and we have an exception clause here that doesn't fit the teaching anywhere else, we may be misinterpreting that exception clause or, or perceived perception clause. That what God said, what Jesus said, what we're teaching that he said there may not be what he was teaching there because it appears to conflict with what he teaches in other places. Do you follow me? Okay. We all, uh, so we have to be careful on building theology based on one verse. So let me, let me give you one. Um, the rich young ruler comes to the Lord and says, I've done all these things. What does the Lord tell the rich young ruler he needs to do? Sell everything he has and follow him, right? So let's build our theology off that verse. Let's build it off that verse. Because that's what happens a lot of times. And, and it's kind of what's happened here is we have this, what the, what the Lord said. But I, I'm not sure that this, the way it's being interpreted is what the Lord said. You follow? But we'll build a theology off of that that's dangerous. I'm going to tell you, I'm always going to err to the side of, of conservative and cautious in the heart of, of what God said and what I can clearly interpret in that. So we have to be careful in how we, we build our theology. So let's go even a little deeper. Now those who, who hold to the exception clause view, uh, they make some assumptions. So there's assumptions that are made in this. Assumption number one is that Jesus lowers the bar in marriage because uh, of our sin nature. Does that sound strange to anybody but me? Does that sound strange? Okay. Now I'm not going to name the pastor. You'd know him. You've heard his name. You would know him. I'm not going to put his name out here. Um, he's, a, he's a famous current pastor. He said this, and I'm quoting because I, I got the video. He said, God hates divorce, but God understands that we are in a fallen world. And so there are some concessions to the fallenness of the world. I don't agree with that statement. Not at all. Or, or to put it another way, I think this is my interpretation of what he said. God lowers the bar a little in marriage because of our sin nature. That's what he's saying. God's lowered the bar. Hey, you know, you've married people. I get it. It's a sinful world. You're going to make mistakes. You know, I'm just going to lower my standards for you. Here's the problem. Let's look at this. The problem with that is that Jesus never lowered the bar. In fact, he raised the bar. Right? So if you go to Matthew, go back to the Sermon on the Mount, and we look at that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You have heard that it uh, was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Based on that right there, every man or every woman who's ever looked on someone else and had a lustful thought or anything, you've committed adultery. Your spouse is free to marry someone else. They're free to divorce and marry somebody else. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what he said. So he's, he didn't lower the bar here. He's raised the bar. Adultery is not actually just the act. It, it's, look, guys, you're going to go home and look at pornography? You've committed adultery. I make that argument. Oh, no, no, no. That's, you're being, that's a little bit harsh there, preacher. Well, let me ask you this. If you went peeping in somebody's window, would that be sinful? Well, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. You're a peeping Tom. You're just doing it on a computer safely. So nobody sees me sneaking around the house. 
Okay? So it's sinful. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. He says you ain't got to kill somebody to be in danger of judgment for murder. You ain't got to kill them to have murder. You got to just think it in your heart. Just be, have that thought. Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what had been said. Maybe we should hold on to that one, right? We'd love to hold on to that one. No, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, if I were going to write a, 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 a CW a version of the scripture, C, C, FCW uh, version. I'd, I'd add a verse right there. I couldn't, I, that'd be wrong, but it would say, unless you're married to them. No. See the idea of how foolish this is? The idea that we lower the bar in marriage because you're married? You guys are married, so we're going to lower the bar for you. The standard for everybody else in our relationships is that, look, you forgive. You, you pray for them. You bless them. You do good to them who spitefully use you. All these things. And yet we want to lower the bar in marriage. Matthew 18, verse 21. And Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. Up to seven times. Oh, righteous Peter. Seven times? Lord, he's exceeding the law right there. But Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Up to 490 times. Somebody, I was telling someone, I was telling someone today, I said, once they get to 491, I think it was Melinda. When they get to 491, you, you, you're free. You can not, you don't have, that's not what the Lord was saying either. He's saying, look, don't keep count. You can't keep that count up to 490, so don't count. Just forgive them. Forgive them. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Does that sound like the Lord lowers the bar for us? No. Uh, not at all. God never lowers the bar for us. Our goal is to be like Christ and what God says God means. Amen? Amen. Says it, he means it. So, so here's the question then, based on all of that. Why would God lower the standards for forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration for those who have entered the single relationship that best pictures his relationship with the redeemed and with his church. Why, why, would, why would he lower the standard in marriage, the, the relationship that is the picture of Christ and the church? That's the, the, the relationship on earth that pictures that. Amen? Okay, that's assumption one. Assumption two is that if there's freedom to divorce, then there is also freedom to remarry. So if there is a biblical permission to divorce, it never clearly states a biblical permission to remarry. Go back, study the scriptures. There, there's a lot of scripture on that about, about divorce and those who would interpret that. But if there is a biblical permission to divorce, it is never clearly states the Bible never clearly states a biblical permission to remarry. Okay, only in the case of death is a spouse uh, of a spouse is someone clearly free to remarry. So remember, the goal is reconciliation and restoration. That's always the goal. Always, always. These are the goals. So problems with the exception clause, other than what have already been stated, um, what qualifies as sexual immorality that justifies divorce? 
So if we, if we embrace this, this sexual immorality clause, that, that boy, someone, they committed sexual immorality. So what, what qualifies for that? Is it habitual, ongoing, ongoing unrepentant adultery? Is it that? Or is it, uh, uh, could it be a single act of adultery? Or as I mentioned a while ago, could it be pornography? Because pornography is absolutely sexual immorality. It's absolutely sin. And, and if that's the case, then, you know, you, you, you can say you've committed adultery and, and they would be free if that's so. Where do we take that if that is the exception? So too often what, what I've experienced is that sexual immorality, listen, is thrown out by Christians who won't out. It's, it's the trump card. Let me explain that. It's, um, it's, you know, how would you argue with someone? You ever been in a conversation with someone, a spiritual conversation, and they say, well, the Lord told me to do so-and-so. So how do you argue with that? I mean, it doesn't make a lick of sense. It contrasts with Scripture, but how do you argue with them? But the Lord told me to do this. Now, people thought I was crazy. When I left Charlotte, North Carolina 22, 23 years ago, we prayed about it. And I absolutely felt the Lord led us to leave my job and move back to Georgia. No job, pregnant wife, no place to live. Stupid. Anybody came to me and said, the Lord told me to do that, I'd go, man, are you, what are you smoking? You know? But the Lord did tell me that. So that's kind of our trump card, right? That's the thing. When, and, and I've had people tell me, the Lord told me I'm supposed to go pastor this church. Really? Well, the Lord, if he told you to tell, he's going to tell some other people that too. And, and some things. Anyway, that's the trump card. But here's what happens it's the trump card in marriage, too, because I hear people, they say this. Well, they cheated on me. Do you have proof? Well, no, but I'm, I'm, I'm confident. You know, I just, I know. They cheated on me, so I'm free to divorce them. That's the, that's, you get it? It's the trump card. It's the, who can argue with that then if this exception clause is the clause? Um, this doesn't capture the heart of God. God always wants perhaps in marriage more than in any other relationship for us to work towards forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration. Y'all going to be tired of me saying that. But that's the heart of God. Not for us to be hard-hearted. Not for us to pursue divorce. Not for us to, to end, the, end the marriage. Now, I'm going to give you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you, give you some help here in a moment, okay? Um, but that's the heart of God in those situations. We need to understand His, his heart on this. So the Bible's seemingly strict views on, mar- on divorce are derived from its even higher view of marriage. God has a high view of marriage. So the marriage commitment is an objective reality that should not be altered. So Scripture is, is very clear that if divorce is ever okay, it is only in very limited circumstances. And can even say remarriage is, is even less we can find less scripture to, to, to state that. That, the, that God said this is what you can or should do. You understand what I'm saying? Some of you are putting up walls. Bring it down. Bring it down. Okay, hear me out. Hear me out on this. So I want to tell you this. So if there's abuse involved that endangers your safety, hear me. You need to leave. You need to leave. And I'm not saying divorce, but you need to leave. You need to get out. You need to get away. You need to get safe. I don't think God expects someone ever to stay in a situation like that. Okay? The idea is still to pray, 
to live like God wants you to live, to honor Him, to serve Him with your life. And, and the prayer is that that person will get their heart right with God and there can be forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. Amen? Y'all still don't like that. If there is open, unrepented sexual immorality in the marriage, you need to leave. You need to leave. And again, I'm not saying that you, you, you just, man, first time you leave. If the person is repentant, they want, they want to work on it, man, we've got to find a way to work on it. We've got to find a way to forgive and work toward restoration and reconciliation. And I hear what, I, listen, I know the pain of that. I don't know the pain. I don't know it personally, okay? Don't read into that. But I've seen it. I've been around it. I, I understand that. If, if, if I can't imagine a greater hurt than if, than if Gina uh, were to cheat on me. But I, I can't imagine that would ever happen. But if it did, I can't imagine a greater hurt. But if she came back repentant, my obligation scripturally is to do everything I can to reconcile that marriage. So if I need to leave, I need to leave. Now, I'm not going to name names, um, but I know of a situation in this church, not in the church, but associated with the church, where the spouse was, was in, in, in pathological um, adultery and got caught. And the, and the, and the innocent spouse was was patient, was forgiving, was trying to reconcile, and he confessed and everything, I'm going I'm to change that, and we went right back into it. Went right back into it, got called again. She still was willing to try to work through this. Went off to get some help, went through a camp or some different things, trying to help with a sexual addiction and different things, trying to help him. He still wouldn't turn from it, and she divorced him. Now, in that case, we talked about divorce sometimes may have to be used as, 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 as a, 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 what was it, extreme mercy. An, an extreme case of let's shake this person, let them live in the consequences of their sin. And the, and the goal, though, is still for reconciliation biblically. You, you follow? Okay. But if you leave and you have to leave, then... then do what God desires for you to do in that situation. Live your life fully for the Lord and uh, be faithful in, in following the Lord's will and live for Him. And I highly recommend this. And I recommend this. If you've got some situation in your marriage, some struggles in your marriage, don't wait till you feel like it's irreconcilable to talk to somebody. Talk to somebody early on. Talk to the pastor. Talk to the elders. Talk to some saint of God that is mature who will give you solid biblical counsel and help you. Don't wait till it gets down the road so far that there's like you can't imagine there ever being a way to reconcile. Okay? Don't do that. Don't, don't wait that long. And, I, and again, I recommend, you know, because every situation is different. Every situation has got to be looked at as, as it is. And the, the, you, need, you need someone to walk with you and help you understand this is, this is what God says. This is what we need to do. And then walk through that because, again, there are situations where absolutely you need to get out of that house. You need to separate. And it may go to a point where you have to divorce. But as, as a Christian, we should never be the ones who, who push to end that. It may be forced on us. What did God say? 
God said to Israel, they've committed adultery again and again and again and again. I've called them to repentance. They won't do it. So he put them out and he divorced them. And then when they came to repentance, he was there to, to reconcile with them. So this issue is hard. Amen? It's hard because we've all been touched by it. My, my mom and dad were divorced before they met each other. And they met each other and they divorced. Uh, they met each other and they divorced. They should have. They should have just done that then. They married and they divorced. And then they remarried and they divorced again. They got really good at the second part. Really good. Um, so we've, I've walked through this and, it, and it's painful and it's hard. So, so then try to pull this back and try to give you some good news here. Something to help you a little bit on the way out. Okay. So what do I do, Pastor? What do I do? Uh, again, Christian, I already said this, but Christians shouldn't initiate. Uh, you know, if the person, they're initiating it. They're the ones, if they drive it and you have to separate, separate. If it gets to a point where you have to divorce, then get the divorce. But you stay single. That's what Scripture tells us to do. You pray for them. Do not be the one who kills that marriage. Because if your spouse, if there's a divorce and your spouse remarries, that marriage is dead. You can't go back to them. But God has a plan in that. And we'll, again, we'll talk about that more in the, in the weeks to come. Um, always be the one seeking what God wants. And that's forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation and restoration. That's what he wants. Don't be the one to destroy what God has joined together. And you're sitting here and you're going, but I'm divorced. Uh, I've been divorced. I'm remarried. You know, what do I do now? And uh, we're going we're gonna to talk a lot more about that. But I'm going to give you some things that are going to help you here. All right. Remember that divorce... Uh, and even remarriage are not unforgivable sins. Okay? You know, we, we talk about, we talk a lot about abortion, and sometimes I have to be careful because here's the thing. There, there are, I, I have every confidence there are someone sitting in our congregation this morning that's had an, a divorce, um, an abortion. It is not an unforgivable sin. Okay, so understand that where we stand on that, 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 that we stand for life. We, we want to see that lot, but th there are mistakes that are made sometimes in ignorance, sometimes in desperation or whatever. That's not an unforgivable sin. Right. Death, you murder someone. You know what? I may, I may, if I murdered somebody, I may go to death row. I may die in a prison. I may die from execution and rightfully so perhaps, but I can be forgiven for that sin. Yes. Understand divorce, remarriage are not unforgivable sins. You've got to understand that. Um, but like all sin, it has to be confessed. 1 John 1, 9 and 10 says, if we confess our sin, now what does that mean? It's agreeing with God. When we, when we try to excuse what we've done and we don't want to acknowledge it, we, we've got to come before the scriptures with integrity and look at what God has said about something. And if it's sin, it's sin. And we've got to quit trying to call it something else. But confess it. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we see that, say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So don't, we shouldn't act like, oh yeah, well I've been through three divorces, but it was never my fault. I had zero blame. It was all their fault. And they, you know, that. Confess, we, confession. And, and, and you, you know, here, here's the fear I have with, with us Baptists. Well, you know, if they cheat on you, you can get a divorce. So we'll say they cheated on me so I can get a divorce. Uh, I know it's not right, but I'm going to do it anyway because I can get forgiveness. Yeah. Folks, I'm going to just tell you something. You premeditate your sin. It's hard to go from premeditated sin into true brokenness for your sin. 
But it's like any other sin. Until you're truly broken and truly confess it and repent of your sin, then, then it's not going to be forgiven. So if we say we haven't sinned, we, we make him a liar. So we confess our sin. We confess what, what wrong it was to God, and there is forgiveness. There's forgiveness. John MacArthur said this. So someone asked him, said, should a, should a, you know, if that's happened and you've been divorced and you're, now you're, you're remarried, you know, should you, and you got right with God and you realize, should you divorce that person because you shouldn't have married them to start with? And John MacArthur says, uh, you can't unscramble the eggs. I think it's a good statement. I would say it like this. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. You ever tried that? Oh, man. You can't do it. You just can't get it back in there. All right. So it's been done. And what he's saying is, look, two wrongs don't make a right. So it was wrong to do that. You should not have married, maybe gone back into that marriage. But you don't end that marriage now. Oftentimes there's children involved. There's, other, there's a whole lot of hurt that comes from that. John Piper said to the effect of this, he said, honor the commitment you have made and the covenant you are currently in. Keep the promises you have made in your current marriage. Amen. You've made a commitment. Listen, if you've, if you've gone through that, whether it was, in, if it was in ignorance or if it was in open rebellion, if you've confessed it to God, truly repentant of that sin, God will forgive that sin. And wherever you're at, honor the commitment you've made. And if you're, if you're sitting here going, you know, well, I had a divorce and we were married. Can I, can I use, Susan, can I use you? Because you look at Dave and Susan, man, they love each other. They love the Lord. And, and when there's forgiveness for past sins and failures and stuff, and it's, and it's under the blood, God can sanctify that marriage. Amen. Amen? I believe that. There are those who disagree with me on that. But I don't think that's the heart of God. Either when we don't, when there's not an allowance for forgiveness for a sin that is forgivable. I think oftentimes it is the unforgivable sin for people in the church. Boy, I sure wish I could get a divorce, but I'm never going to let them live it down because they did, and I'm still stuck in my, whatever, I don't know. My sanctified, my unsanctified imagination. All right, three things I'm going to read that, that John Piper said, and we're going to be done. So Pastor Aaron, you guys can make your way forward. So to those who are already remarried, number one, you should acknowledge that the choice to remarry in the act of entering a second marriage was sin and confess it as such and seek forgiveness. That's what you should do. Number two, uh, you should not attempt to return to the first partner after entering a second union. Once one or the other, if, you, if there's divorce and one or the other is married, that marriage is dead. It's dead. It's, it's, there was a death there. You can't go back. Number three, you should not separate and live as single people thinking that this would result in less sin because, of, uh, because all their sexual relations are acts of adultery. The Bible does not give prescriptions for this particular case, but it does treat second marriages as having significant standing in God's eyes. That is, there were promises made and, and there has been a, a union formed. It should not have been formed, but it was. It is not to be taken lightly. Promises are to be kept, and the union is to be sanctified to God. Okay? One last thing. As we learn what Scripture says about marriage, be careful not to give bad counsel, not to give unscriptural counsel. The Bible says in Romans 14, Romans 14, 22, the second part of that verse says, Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Folks, when we approve 
sinful things. And, and that's why I'm telling you, young people, you don't want to go through a divorce. There are those in here, I, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't call, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask you to raise your hand, but I promise you people in here go, absolutely, folks, you don't want to go through that. It's painful. You don't want to go through that. Do it right. Do it God's way, all the way. Amen? Amen. So mistakes may have been made. Give it to the Lord. Confess it. Repent. And then live for God. And where you're at right now, you live for Him with everything you've got. You do what He's told you to do. And it's clear of how we're to live our lives. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's stand.